0: About 95% of American Protestant Christians believe that they have been commanded to preach the gospel to a lost world. 95%. 97% believe that the most important thing in a person's life, the best thing that could ever happen to a person, is to come to know Jesus as their Savior. 95% believe that they have been commanded to preach the gospel. 97% believe that the gospel is the best thing to ever happen to a person. Yet, amazingly, the number, the percentage of American Christians that have shared that same good news of the gospel with another person, that there is now access to the Father by the Son, over the last three years, 2%. 95% of Christians in America believe they've been commanded to preach the gospel. 97% believe it is the most important thing for a person Yet over the past three years, only 2% of those same Christians have shared the gospel. What does that statistic mean to you? Because for believers, this should be heartbreaking and eye-opening. We know that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, but this is the command of every believer. This is the call of the church. The percentage should be 100%. So then my question is, how many people have you shared the good news of the gospel with in the past three years, and is it any people at all? In stark contrast to this, to this statistic is what we're going to see in our passage. We see two men standing before the Jerusalem Sanhedrin and they are telling them, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard in Jesus. And then earlier in the book of Acts, we see that this was the commission from Jesus, that they were to receive the Holy Spirit power to go and be witnesses, verbally proclaiming this kingdom of God. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And if all of that wasn't enough, from Jesus himself in Mark 16, he says this, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Believers should be adamantly sharing the gospel. The question is, are you? These statistics are horrifying to read and know, but the good news for us is that our text this morning can change that. By the story recorded here for us, we see characteristics of sharing the gospel and we see how to share the gospel, and these together will give us strength and guidance to be able to do it even if we never have before. So, with this in mind, let's read Acts 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, inquired, By what power, or by what name, did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. Because of the people, for all, were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that you would still our hearts. That you would remove every distraction that we might have from this week, from this morning, from what is sitting in our hearts right now. God, would you allow us to just sit with your word and be changed by it. Transform us by what you have to say to us in your word, Father. And in that, God, if there is anything that I say that is not of you, I pray that you would help us to all forget it. And if there is anything that any of us think that is contrary to you or your word, would you remove it from our minds and give us good thoughts of who you are, proper understanding of who you are? And help us now as we sit to to worship you and to praise you as we read and as we sit under your word. Help us now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 95% of believers believe they've been commanded to preach the gospel. And 97% believe that it is the most important thing in a person's life to know the gospel. Yet only 2% of believers have shared this gospel with someone in the past three years. Our text this morning can change these statistics in us. How? By sharing the gospel in this way. Speaking boldly by listening obediently. and That's the whole text of what that is. Speaking boldly by listening obediently. So let's start with how do we get here? Where are we in this book? God created man for his glory, but at the fall man fell short of the glory of God in sin. And so in history, all of humanity has been longing for and been looking for eternity because that's how we were designed. We were designed for that, but we have no way back to it on our own. So God, in his mercy, offers a way back to the garden, back to perfection, and back to a relationship with himself <clears throat> for undeserving sinners through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God promised him, the prophets, all the prophets prophesied about him, and every soul longed for him. And he came. The creator God sent his son to be born of a virgin that he might not be marred with the stain of sin. That he might be a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God on behalf of sinners. This Jesus lived a life of perfection. He never sinned. So that by his death, he could be the spotless sacrificial lamb that was slain for sinners to stand in the presence of God. After about 50 days... Jesus ascended into heaven. He rose uh, from the dead. They crucified him. He rose from the dead. And then after about 50 days, Jesus ascended into heaven. And that's where the book of Acts begins. Jesus told them, I have to leave, but I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And that's where we get our witnessing. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, where I was just killed. Judea, where the Jews, they're going to reject you in Samaria where your enemies live, and then to the ends of the earth. And so the rest of Acts is this story. It's the story of the church as God was working through the apostles and then all of the believers by the power of the Holy Spirit. So far, we've seen the Holy Spirit come and rest as tongues of fire on the heads of the apostles where they went out speaking in foreign languages of men and women from across the globe, proclaiming the gospel to them in their own language. And then by that, God grew their number from about 120 to about 2,200. Then we see the healing of a man who was lame from birth. And we know from the end of our passage today, he was 40 years old when it happened, had never walked in 40 years. And people were amazed and they're astonished. And so they gather around to to see it for themselves and to hear what's happening. And so Peter stands before them and he proclaims the gospel to them all. And it was a picture of the eternal healing that was possible in Jesus. And so he says, Repent, therefore turn to your Father. And it's at this point we pick it up in our passage. We look back to verse 1. And as they, this is Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. So let's ask the question, why were they greatly annoyed? What is it about this message that annoys them? The details of the text are really important to note here. First, who are these men? The high priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, they were all part of the Jewish Jewish, religious, and governmental system. It was a mix of church and state. However, there was a huge rift in the politics, if you can imagine that, and it formed two parties. And the two parties were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But it's important to know the difference between them because socially, the Sadducees were more uh, elitist and like top dog. Uh, And Sadducees tended to be more wealthy, and so they held the more powerful positions, whereas the Pharisees, they were more like, representative of the common man so the chief priest, the high priest and the captain of the temple, all the top influential leaders and then the majority of the seats in the 70 member Sanhedrin which is just a supreme court, um, they were all Sadducees so it's important because these are the people that Peter and John, they're walking up to Peter and John and then they're about to stand before them, everyone listed here was a Sadducee there were no Pharisees mentioned why is that important? for one distinct factor. The resurrection. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection of the dead, but the Sadducees rejected the belief. A little later in Acts 23, Paul actually uses this theological um, disagreement between the Pharisees and the Sadducees against them. Uh, They're trying to come together to kill him. um, And so he's making his defense before the Sanhedrin, before this same room that we're about to be in. And he says, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees, and I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And at that moment, the text says there's an uproar. So they just start fighting because of the word resurrection. They disagree really heatedly about it. So he's able to get away. But it's also important to notice these men because of what Luke writes in his gospel about the people whom Pilate is speaking to uh, about Jesus. He says this, Pilate then called them together, The chief priests, the high priests, and the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man, Jesus, as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. These men that we see in our passage are the same men that had Jesus killed. The Sadducees rejected strongly the resurrection, and they had all the power to do with whatever they wanted to with these men. So to think of these men, now that we know who they are approaching Peter and John, that's terrifying. Verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So if it wasn't enough that the uh, captain of the temple, the high priest, they came, they're like, no, let's bring the whole family. Let's get all the Sanhedrin together. Let's, let's, you know, let's get this guy. And so they're asking about the healing. They're asking about what happened. And they're really asking a leading question by asking, what name did you do this in? They're trying to get them to slip up. They're trying to get them to tell them that, they were doing this in Jesus' name, so they're be like, boom, we knew it, we got you. Uh, you'll be crucified as well. You'll, you know, you'll be tried for blasphemy. So what does Peter say? In the middle of all of these men who had just had Jesus killed, who have all of the power in this city, what does he say? Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Sadducees they ask by what name they healed this man because they know. Like this is how anyone this is how anyone would figure out uh, by whose authority they're speaking on. The name is associated with the authority of a king or an official. Who would impart their authority to a person to allow them to, <clears throat> to do something in their name? So, just to simplify it, the action is accomplished, but by the power of someone else. So they ask Peter by what authority he healed the sick man, and Peter answers them In the name of Jesus, the one whom you crucified, the one whom God raised from the dead, resurrection. This happened. The action was accomplished here, but by the power of the resurrected Jesus. And remember the audience, this is a bold man. This is the same man who denied Jesus three times before, once to a middle school-aged girl. And the whole Sanhedrin, the whole 70-member party of them all, astonished. Most importantly, though, in his boldness, Peter cuts to the heart of the issue. What he says here is, listen, you guys are trying to get me on a technicality, but there's something way more important going on here than a law being broken or by you guys being annoyed. Salvation is being offered to you in the same name that had the power to make this man walk. Don't you see it? I am in the name of Jesus proclaiming the message of salvation of how people are saved. And this man standing next to me is proof. Surely, Peter had all the same thoughts that he had when he denied Jesus. That he was scared for his life. Legitimately so. Yet, by the Holy Spirit, he speaks with power. And this is important for us to see. Because whatever fear you have in sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit gives you the courage and the boldness to speak anyway. Whatever fear you have in sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit gives you the courage and boldness to speak anyway. It's awkward, it's hard at times, it's scary at times. But you've been given the authority and thus the power to speak. God created them, those who we are speaking to, so he's going to meet them in how he desires to meet them, even if it's through our fearful speaking of the gospel. In my experiences, the times where I have shared the gospel, uh, when I have no clue what I was saying, uh, I tried to get some words out, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't want to be a follower of Jesus after listening to this guy. I started talking, didn't know where I was going. Um, But God used those times way more than the times that I thought I was eloquent and I delivered this perfect message. Currently in America, we are free to proclaim the gospel without fear of our lives like these men. But it might not always be free. So we have to have a long-term perspective here. We cannot show an example to those who come after us. cannot show an example to our children and our children's children that we're to be wimps with the gospel. Because one day it might actually cost Christians here their lives. Right now it's easy. It only costs us our awkwardness. And yet we cower in fear. But it should give us great power to see these men stand before the Sanhedrin who just had Jesus killed. And they proclaim with boldness, this is how you are saved. How is he so bold? How is Peter so bold in what he says? Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We speak out what we are full of. It's not that we do it sometimes, it's we are always speaking of what is holy to us. It will overflow from our hearts and into our conversations. It's just what happens. So then the question is, what is your heart full of? Because the truth is, we will only speak of the gospel as much as we love the gospel. If the gospel is beautiful to us, if it is the thing that is filling our hearts, which it absolutely should be, then it should be that we, too, cannot but speak. Sit before the gospel and simply let it overwhelm you. Think of your sins. Go down that rabbit hole for a minute. And then think hard about the fact that you have a gracious God in heaven who is merciful to you. One issue with us is that we like to compartmentalize our Christian life uh, into categories or compartments—that's a better way to say that. Uh, the fact that we even have a Christian life, as opposed to just a life, shows that about us. And so, what we do is we have all of these categories, and, and we put them out on the table. And really, we just pick our favorites, and we do that a lot. Uh, but sharing the gospel is way over there; it's off the table. It's in the cabinet. Um, it's not. But it's not some compartmentalized thing that we have to worry about doing sometimes. Like pulling it out. Like, okay, let me go share the gospel. It should be who we are. We are messengers, ambassadors of this kingdom. If you're a parent, you can't just not be a parent because you're not good at it. Or because you don't want to. Or you can't choose to parent at some points and not others. You are a parent. The second that doctor handed you that baby, parenting started. It's happening. It's real. But this is our call as ambassadors of this kingdom. We have been entrusted with a message, with the good news of the gospel for a dying world. The question is not, do I share the gospel? Because that's compartmentalized. But how am I doing in sharing the gospel? It should be who we are. Just think of the tragedy that it would be for you to have no hope for anything after this life. That is a reality for people in your family. For people that you are friends with. For people in your neighborhood, in your town. The people that you meet. Welcome to the kingdom. You just gained hundreds of kids. You are now responsible for those who God has placed in your life and whom God has uh, placed you in their lives. Not merely to love them or serve them alone, but to love them and serve them by sharing the gospel with them with boldness. We are our brother's keeper in this way. We are not saved solely for our own benefit. We are saved unto a mission. This world is fading. My life is fading. So we have to figure out what transcends it all. What goes beyond this. What matters most in life is not this life. It's what happens when this life ends. Why? Because what's the biggest issue in someone's life? What happens when they die? If Christians have the greatest news in the universe about eternal life being a free gift in Jesus Christ, then all of our lives should be truly committed to speaking that news with boldness. It might be awkward, sure. It might cost us something, but it could cost them everything. Who are you willing to suffer for? And is it only you? Be bold. You have been purchased, redeemed, made new, saved, and you are eternally loved by a great Father in heaven. You've gained everything. There's nothing to lose. You're called to be a witness for Christ in both word and deed. So do it with, with the boldness of Christ in His name by that power. You do the action. The power is supplied. Sharing the gospel is not just living the Christian life. We tend to run into this with this uh, little quip. uh, Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. And it's not a horrible saying. But it could leave us to believe that if we just live a good life, then we're doing what we need to do in this arena. And I'll be honest with you, I trusted this philosophy for a long time, Uh, for the whole time that Leah and I actually lived in an apartment in Mesquite. But it didn't work. In the end, I had neighbors who thought I was really nice, but they didn't learn about Jesus at all. We've not evangelized our neighbor if we have never shared the gospel with them. No one is converted by our kindness or honesty. They're brought into the kingdom of heaven only through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So are we introducing them to him? Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, that was for sure boldness, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So part of the reason that Jesus was crucified was uh, he was accused of corrupting the nation. All of these people would hear him and they would cling to his teaching and they'd follow him throughout the cities. And they would adhere to this grace and it was causing all sorts of chaos for those who adhered only to the law. So they killed him. They killed him to make sure it would stop with him, this message of whatever was going on, this new kingdom. No, Rome is the kingdom. Little did they know, Jesus passed on his authority and his power in his name to proclaim the same message of salvation to his people. So this time around, they have no clue what to do with these people because really they just did a good thing. They weren't inciting riots or anything like that. So they tell them like, all right. Listen, we can't really punish you too much because we see the guy, and like that's crazy. So, uh, just just stop speaking in the name. Do whatever else you want to do, but just stop speaking or teaching in that man's name. And you guys are good. See you later. Verse nineteen. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. There is so much boldness packed into this one little sentence. You must judge. They are judging, so they say you must judge. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The reason our statistics are so abysmal boils down to this question. Who are you listening to? Who are you obeying? Because who we listen to, who we obey, shows our true allegiance. If they had caved to the, okay, I'm listening to you, they wouldn't have had the power to stand there in the first place. They'd still be in the upper room. So then the question is, is it right to listen to God or to your inhibitions? Is it right to listen to God or your gut telling you that it might be awkward? Is it right to listen to God or your inner dialogue where you come up with reasons as to why you shouldn't share the gospel? Every time the gospel might be proclaimed to an unbelieving friend, a family member, or a neighbor, every time the Holy Spirit is leading us to proclaim the gospel with power and we don't say anything, we are disobedient to the wrong person. If you must be disobedient, be disobedient to the sinner. If you must be disobedient, be disobedient to you. Jesus reminds us in Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And we have been given no greater gift than the gospel. And we have no greater stewardship than to share that message of the good news with others. Believers, believers, You are called to be a witness for Christ in both word and deed. Who do you belong to? Who is your king? For whom are you an ambassador? Who do you really fear here? The fear which dominates us apart from Christ is the fear of men. So what do we do? We fight fear with fear. When we enter into a conversation, we are not to be overwhelmed by the desire to be liked or to escape without offending anyone. Instead, we should be in awe of the all-surpassing greatness of Christ. And if the words aren't coming, we all struggle in this area. That's going to happen. But if the words aren't coming, the answer is not to learn a new set of, of arguments or techniques. Instead, it's to return to the source. The glory of Christ, a treasure greater than everything. As we are captured more by his glory, more by the glory of the fact that he would save us, then we will speak. Because by that glory, we see who our true king is. In sin, we live to you know, this God and that God and this God, and they fail us every time. And so by his word, we will see who our true God is. And then we will think, you know what? It it is better to listen to this guy. If If I must be disobedient, let me be disobedient to me. How do we change these statistics? Speaking boldly by listening obediently. Ultimately, we share the gospel with gospel hope in our own hearts. Or we do not share the gospel. The only reason that someone would not share the gospel is that they don't think it's life-changing. But if it is, then we cannot but speak. This is Romans 10, verse 8 through 15. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Believers, this should be us. So believers, let it be us. Let us not look to these statistics with anything, but hope that God is going to change it through us. Let us look to the gospel every day that we might love it more and cherish it more, that it might be something we we long to share with anyone and everyone whom God places before us, because that is the most important thing in their life. The Messiah Jesus died on the cross to take away the sins of the world. That means you, and that means me, and that means someone else too. He bore the burden of our sins for us, and then he rose from the grave to defeat the power of sin, brokenness, and death, and darkness in the world. This was done so that our relationship with our father would be restored. And we are given a new life in order to become all that God designed us to be in the first place. We cannot but speak. We cannot but speak. One day all of those who believe in this gospel we'll be around the same table with Jesus at the head of the table and we will get to look around and see all those who believed and maybe just maybe we will see those with whom we shared our gospel and we will get to praise the same God for the same Savior under the same King forever the same eternity together And so until then, we cannot but speak of all that we have heard and seen in Jesus. Because what else matters? The reason why Peter ends the story of, uh, or the reason why Luke ends the story of this man being healed with this, them standing before the Sanhedrin, is because he wants to show this healing is not what ultimately mattered. What mattered was the healing, the eternal healing that is to come in Jesus, the eternal restoration that can now happen because of Jesus. And so until the day does come, we cannot but speak. In order to remember this gospel today, we're going to take communion together. And as always, if you're a believer, you're welcome to the table as it is a picture of what Christ has done for us. It is a visual picture of what the gospel is and then what is to come where we will be resurrected and eating and drinking together forever. However, if you are not a believer or if you are in unrepentant sin, I ask that you would remain in your seat in this time. If you're in unrepentant sin, come back to your father. and your life that has been made new for you. There is something greater than your sin. There's something much greater than the sin that only leaves you disappointed, and it's waiting for you. Mercy is new for you this morning. Return to your Father. The times of refreshing may come for him. If you're an unbeliever, the bad news is that there is no access to the Father for you. In your current state. Because the wages of sin, the wages of your sin is eternal death. But the good news is that Christ has made a way for you by his life and death. The question is: would you believe? If you're here this morning and you're discouraged and you're scared, because you're contributing to to these statistics because maybe you don't share the gospel. And maybe, man, am I really saved if I I don't care about the gospel that much? Be encouraged. Unbelievers do not worry about such things. They don't worry about teaching what the gospel is. But also be encouraged in that all of us are with you. Change these statistics. How? By this body and this blood. So in this time of communion, here is our prayer. Father, we admit and confess our sin of failing to proclaim your gospel. Would you make it so beautiful to us that we cannot but speak? In Jesus' name, amen. So take your time to pray through what God has given you in his word. Examine your life. If there is any sin that needs to be repented of, do it in this time, but pray through whatever God has given you. And then when you're ready, the elements are at the back of the room, grab them, bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them all together here in a minute. Our hope is ultimately not in our power not in whether or not we are good at sharing the gospel. Our hope rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Our hope will always lie in this body, in this blood alone. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.